Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. No joy with the Peter K tickets. I'll tell you the story a little later on. Anyone get tickets out there for Peter K uh, the weekend that was hanging on the line for yonks and yonks to get them? We had no joy anyway. If you did, good luck to you and well done. But uh, if you were like ourselves, I think a lot of people were, you were disappointed. We're going to come back to it a little bit later on in the show. I hope you had a nice weekend. We're all ready to rock and roll here with lots of chat and guests over the next couple of hours. The numbers you need, as always, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to talk to me directly on the show today. In the news, I've been reading over the weekend lots of different newspapers and articles and it's everywhere. It's raised its ugly head again, yes child abuse and clerical child abuse in the context of the Spiritans or as they were known, the Holy Ghost Fathers. Now, my first guest on the show today is a very good friend of ours. I've spoken to him on numerous occasions and he's back with me today because he's been talking more extensively about the abuse he experienced at the hands of priests. He's a child protection expert, author, lecturer, musician, dad, granddad and one of life's real good guys. Shane Dunphy, hello again. Hi, Jerry. How are you keeping? I'm really good. Thanks for joining me. I suppose, like myself, you're all weekend I've been, you know, picking up on this from different situations. That radio documentary about Black Rock College yeah. has brought it all to the fore. And really, it's like a tsunami of names now of abusers. Shane, it must have been tough for you reading this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I listened to the um, I listened to the documentary as it mm. was broadcast and... I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was it was like a, a mirror image of my own experiences um, at, at the same age as those young men went through it. Um, the, the the mo the, the the techniques that are used, the grooming that that these young men experienced at the hands of their clerical abusers was almost identical to what I would have experienced myself. And it just brought it home to me that this has just been this type of behaviour. It was almost like it was on a loop for generations of, of, of young people in Ireland. Um, and it, it has just seemed, as it has unravelled over the weekend, and as more and more people have come forward, and as you said, we've got more and more names of, of, of abusers, and the numbers just seem to be mounting. It just seems to me as if, you know, here we have yet another example of institutionalised <laughs> Systemic abuse of young people. Okay, this time, uh, you know, we've talked before about the industrial schools and the yeah. Magdalene laundries and the mother and baby homes, mm. which are targeting poor people. Here we have, well, you know, generally quite well off families and young people that were attending these schools. And these people are, are being targeted by a, a very, very predatory community of clerics. And you know what, Jerry, in a way, it, it, it's great that we're having this conversation because one thing that I, I've said for years is child abuse doesn't observe the, 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 the boundaries of social class. Yeah. It doesn't observe the boundaries of ethnicity. Um, it doesn't observe any, anything. It, it, it is a human problem. 
Um, something that occurred to me over the weekend as I was reading a lot of these articles is that I would just love to see somebody in the clergy coming forward and actually talking passionately about how appalling this is and the kind of changes that we need to see made to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Uh, we are aware that the Spirit and Order has been paying out large amounts of money, but um, you know, are we going to see any prosecutions? Are we going to see um, any um, uh, proper criminal investigation into what's happening? I am aware, because a number of survivors have contacted me to tell me that they have given statements to the police, but one of the things that we heard in the documentary was that, you know, cases were not pursued because of the age mm. of, of some of the abusers. And, you know, I'm not sure that that's good enough. I think that we need to see um, a, a much more aggressive stance being taken in relation to this because it's just the same stuff coming out again and again and again. And okay, so we have a situation now where uh, as a community, as, an, as a, the Irish people are standing up and saying, we stand with the abusers. Mm. Um, you know, the survivors, uh, sorry, we stand against the abusers, we stand with the survivors, okay? Yes. Um, we are going to support them, we are going to make sure that they feel nurtured and safe and heard, okay? And that's brilliant. But you know, I, I'm on the record as saying that I think that there needs to be a serious examination of how the church in Ireland runs its business. I think that uh, we need to see a total restructuring of that organisation mm. uh, because, quite frankly, uh, it, it has shown itself to be, unfortunately, um, responsibilities that have been given to it have have been hideously um, taken advantage of and yes. betrayed. And while, you know, I, I am aware that there are very, very, very good people who are clerics, and, you know, I, I recently met the Bishop of Ferns myself to have a conversation about my own case, and I have to say he responded um, very, very well and very positively mm. and very supportively. But, but I, I said in that conversation that I had with him, you know, why are we not hearing members of the clerical hierarchy coming out and saying, this is repugnant, this does not stand, this opposes everything that we are supposed to believe in, and we want to work actively to make sure that, you know, that this is weeded out and will never happen again. There's a resounding silence. Mm. And that, that um, is and a problem, Shane, that is a big problem. A couple of things I want to pick up on, you said there about age being a factor, and one prominent judge, who was very prominent, actually didn't prosecute a case because he felt yeah. uh, the person concerned was too old. I, I look at what's happened in Germany with the Nazis. They're never too yeah. old. No matter what age they are, they're brought to boot on this. That's number one. And, and, and secondly, you're right about, you know, unequivocal, you know, unequivocal uh, from the church. It needs to be from the hierarchy. That is true. But I want to ask you this. This is something that crossed my mind reading everything the weekend. You know the way when the radio documentary has come out and, more, as you mentioned there rightly, more people are coming out and telling their stories. And you were one person who had to come out and tell your stories too. Shane, how do you cope with this for years? And then suddenly, what makes you speak up? Okay, that's, that's a really good question. Um, if we look at the studies that have been done of people who have survived childhood sexual abuse, what we see is that generally it's at least 20 years between the experience of the abuse occurring and people coming forward. The reason for this, uh, there, there are multiple reasons for it. Um, often when the abuse is taking place, the abuser is telling the person that they are abusing, that they have done something to make this happen, um, that they in some way want it, that they are complicit in it. They also tell them that, that if you do tell, you will not be believed and you may even be punished. Um, or that awful things will happen to your family. You know, that's another thing that yes. often survivors have told me. If you tell, your your family will suffer. We'll make sure that your family are ostracized. Businesses will not be um, will not be fraternized by, you know, that the shame will be awful, you know. So what happens is you wall this up. Your, what your mind does is so that you survive the trauma is it actually just takes it and blocks it away. And it, it's, you forget. It's as if this did not happen. Jerry, if you had asked me, you know, 15 years ago, Shane, um, did you experience abuse? I would have said no. 
Mm. And I would have believed it. Mm. Um, what happened to me was I started, um, you know, obviously I, I went into child protection as a profession. Um, this, for, this was my way of coping. Um, I kind of took the fight to them. And again, if you'd asked me why I did that, I would have told you that I did it just because I wanted to help people and I wanted to do some good. Yes. I would not have told you that I did it because I, I had experienced it myself and wanted to make sure that it didn't happen to other people. I became obsessive. I worked ridiculously long hours. Cases would become, you know, all-consuming for me, you know. And it got to the point where I was always making myself ill. I was working so hard and sometimes putting myself into quite dangerous situations um, to try and help people, stuff that wasn't always good for me. What happened was then when I was about 30, um, I started experiencing nightmares. And I couldn't explain what they were about. Um, Awful, awful things. And that caused me to go to therapy. And it was when I started attending therapy, um, you know, and I went through a a number of different therapists until I found the one that was right for me. And when I did, um, you know, she was able to actually help me to understand what I had experienced, you know, by very gently kind of nudging Mm. me towards that realization. And what happened then was, um, quite frankly, that it reached a point where, you know, I didn't say anything about it. I didn't come forward because, publicly, because I kind of, again, there was a bit of a shame attached to it. I hadn't come forward up to now. I was known as a child protection expert. I published all these books and I felt coming out at that point, I felt I'm going I'm to seem a fraud or people won't understand. And I was afraid also that people would look at me differently, that people would kind of um, be maybe embarrassed or wouldn't want to talk to me or wouldn't want to come to me. But eventually, Jerry, it reached the point where I felt more of a fraud by not coming forward. And yes. I felt, I'm encouraging people to do this and I've just got to own this. And I thought that the best way of doing that was to just completely go public and just say, look, this is my experience. And to be honest with you, the outpouring of support that I got was colossal. I mean, thousands of messages from every corner of the world, um, every facet of Irish society, you know, people came out as, as a sport. And it was... It, it was just wonderful. It just felt like literally the community giving me a hug and saying, you know, look, you, you, you know, we're here for you. And um, it had no impact whatsoever on, on, on my career, either as an author or as a teacher or as a child protection worker. Um, everybody it was kind of just kind of, well, yeah, OK, we, we hear you um, and we're here for you. Um, and n- nobody uh, saw, saw, saw me as any different than they did before. Yes. And you know, you know, Shane, you know, I just say to you, you are, I've said at the beginning, and you're one hell of a man. You really are. You're one fantastic oh, you, guy. No, you really are. And yet, as you've seen the weekend, unfortunately, there were so many others who couldn't cope with this at all, who ended their lives, yeah. who, their lives and were I, destroyed. I, mean, I, I a lot of guys I went to school with who um, experienced similar things didn't make it for that same reason. They, they, they died by suicide. I know an awful lot of people who ended up, um, you know, just climbing into a bottle, mm. um, you know, using narcotics, um, whether legal or illegal. I know an awful lot of people who self-harmed in different ways. And it makes me very, very angry, um, you know, that we, we would, you know, that we still have the, this organization which holds itself up as a moral authority. And as I said, isn't actively coming out and acknowledging their complicity in what has happened and, 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 and actively, you know, expressing the shame. Um, we're, we're just not seeing that. And the lives that have been devastated. Um, I mean, I remember, I think it was Mary McAleese, you know, describing it as Ireland's Holocaust. And it is. And it's ongoing. And more and more and more of this is, 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 is coming out. And there needs to be a, a, a response, I believe. And I, I'm, I'm really standing up repeatedly and asking for that. I want to see a senior member of the church hierarchy coming out and, and talking about this. And now, Shane, here's the other thing that I was just about to come on to. And just before we finish, I want, to, I want sure. you to answer this question. That's fair enough. And your uh, appeal is worthy. And I hope it is addressed. What about this call for a tribunal? And as you say, there are more. There will be more. Where does this ever end? What's your feelings on that? You see, I've mixed feelings about tribunals, Jerry, because we've all seen tribunals yes. that chew up an awful lot of money that could be better spent mm. supporting survivors and their families who go through, you know, horrendous 
horrendous stress and trauma as a result of this. However, I, I do think an investigation into how stuff like this went on so long within such a large institution, um, you know, and, and I mean, these are, 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 are schools that would have had an awful lot of money themselves as well. Um, and, and we do know that people were moved around. We know that abusers were moved around. It would be really interesting to actually have somebody look into that and even see the migration patterns of where these guys were sent um, and to actually, again, track the devastation that they were causing so that that could be held up and mirrored and we could see, you know, this is what was going on, to see the mechanics of that. Um, you know, that would be very useful. But as I said, my, my issue is I'm loath to see the um, the money being pumped into that when it might be better placed being being spent on supporting survivors and their families. So I have mm. very, very mixed feelings. Yes. It, this is complicated stuff. Mm. You know, this is, this is human lives, and this goes above and beyond politics. It goes above and beyond religion. This is about the protection and welfare of children. Mm. And to me, that's the most important thing in the world. Yes. Uh, you know, and I suppose I'd be asking, who's going to foot the bill? Yeah, they're, and, they're, and, and, and you, you are so right. That's the, that's the thing. We've seen what it's cost in the past. And as you say, money is tighter at the moment and could be yeah. spent elsewhere. But the priority is that this stops and never happens again. And you can say never say never. But at the end of the day, people like you, Shane, are just so important to others who probably haven't yet come to terms or perhaps come out into the open about what happened to them. Keep on doing uh, what you're doing, Shane. And I wish you well. And I always love talking to you. You too, you too. Hope to see you soon. Take care, Shane. Bye-bye. 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 That's Shane Dunphy there. Absolutely brilliant man. But... It's everywhere at the moment. I was reading, I've been reading a lot the weekend about it, and the, 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 the thing that annoys me is, and there are so many of the abusers that are dead, and they'll never answer. Those that remain alive should answer, no matter what age. That's my feelings for what it's worth. 086-1800-658, if you'd like to get in touch with us, WhatsApp or text. If you're affected by anything we were speaking about, if it rings a bell with you and you haven't spoken to anybody, you can always call 999 and get through to somebody there or some service. But one in four, I'd recommend, are very good. One in four, a great organisation. 01662407. That's one in four's number. 01662407. You know your sport, Miss Walsh. I'm a chancer, Jerry. <laughs> You're a good one. A very good one. You got everything right in your predictions. Bar the screen ladies. Mm. Oh, God help them. I was so disappointed. Yeah, they were just just pipped. So they they did fantastic. Mm. But everything else, wow, I am very impressed. I really (laughs) am. So is your sports uh, pursuing fan club as well. Uh, Keep it up. Keep it up. You're going great guns. You're getting better all the time. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to work. Seems to work better than the experts. Um, What about Peter Kay and the tickets, Louise? Oh, my daughter. I didn't go on. on Well, you uh, did. uh, Sarah, my daughter did for me in fairness. She's on in plenty of time for the 10 a.m. start. When she went on, I think there was about uh, four to six thousand people ahead of her. Right. Mm. She waited and waited till after 11, got to the top of the queue, no tickets. And when she looked, looked, looked back, Mm. there were 48,000 people behind her waiting. So disappointing. 48,000. And then he released, did you see that, two additional dates. Mm. And I thought, woohoo, 2025. Surely any of us would be. Oh, you'd think so. The dates are in 2025. His next date's here in Ireland. Oh, in the name of God. He's optimistic. He is. (laughs) Well, that's Peter Kay anyway for you. Anyone get Peter Kay tickets out there? I'd say they were like chicken's teeth. I'm beginning to think most of the Peter Kay tickets were gone, actually, before they went on general sale. You know, the priority thing that they have. I'm just starting to really feel that. Listen to this from a listener. Uh, Hi, Jerry and Louise. Um... I was ill in recent times and there was a family member who was very good to me. And when Garth Brooks was coming to Ireland, I tried to get tickets for this person, but couldn't get them. Then he told me that he'd love to see Peter Kay. So on Saturday morning, I set to it with both our phones and like yourself, zilch again. I'm absolutely, totally gutted and really think there has to be an easier way for non-technical minded people to get tickets for these gigs. Thanks indeed 
for that message. I'm sorry you didn't get the tickets, but I'm beginning to actually feel that very, very few people got tickets for Peter Kay. And I'm just wondering where they all more or less sorted out on priority before the general sale thing. Perhaps I'm wrong, but uh, if you've anything to say in it or if you got the tickets, as I said, or were disappointed or queuing like that listener there, let me know. 86 658 by WhatsApp or text is the number that gets straight to me in studio today. Now, no need to remind you that uh, Twitter has been bought by a fella called Elon Musk. He is a few pound. In fact, he has more pounds and dollars and every other currency than anybody else in the world. He's the richest man and he's taken over Twitter. Last week, Armageddon, out the door, out the door, out the door was the message as he let so many people go and he says he needs to bring the uh, business in line with the money it's generating, its income. But it's caused consternation online because there are huge numbers of Twitterati out there and they're actually leaving the platform and going elsewhere. So Louise was chatting to me about this and said, what about the whole social media thing, Jerry? Where is it at now? What is the platform to be on? Are some dead in the water? Well... We have a young woman on the line to talk to me now of this parish. Yes, she's been with us in LMFM for a while and doing lots of other things as well. Lizzie Dorn, she's a whiz at social media. Hello again. How are you, Derry? I am really good. <laughs> I am indeed. And thank you for uh, joining me today because I know, I know from experience, you do know where it's at. So listen, let's begin at the begin. And I want to throw a few quick fire questions at you. Is Facebook dead and buried? It's not dead and buried. Depends what age you ask, I would say. Um, I would say the Gen Z, that would be this year, it would be 40 to 58-year-olds. I'd say they're the active users. And the millennials, that would be the 26 to 39-year-olds. They're, they're the passive users. We still use it now to find out people's birthdays and what's going on. <laughs> but for an example, like, say, you might have a 45-year-old Mary. She's acting out for the weekend and she puts the post up on Facebook but we'll say if we go to a 17-year-old, they probably don't care what Mary was doing on the weekend. They won't be interacting with that post. You know what I mean? I understand. <laughs> I understand. I love I love that birthday thing because I saw somebody the weekend lashing that summer saying, all it's good for is wishing Mary a happy birthday. <laughs> Shove it. It's great to know when people's birthdays are and you get that notification. <laughs> it certainly is. It saved my bacon on loads of occasions, Lizzie. But what you're saying, for an age bracket, it's still is relevant it still is important and will continue to be definitely definitely for that for for about 26 year olds to about 58 60 mark it is still a really really used platform it's Mm. just it will i say as that that age of people kind of you know grow up and get a bit older it will kind of lose traction because the younger generation they're not engaging with it whatsoever like Facebook ads, any sort of anything to it that way it won't be used i don't i don't think okay the way it's going yeah so let's do a little bit of tweeting for a moment. What about Twitter and what's happened this last week? And I, I'm sure you see this. They're talking exactly. about people abandoning Twitter by the new time. Is this a fact that it is losing? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. there's a new... Well, it's actually not new. Um, this platform called Mastodon. Mm. So it was actually founded in 2016. It's a non-profit, non-profit organisation. And it kind, of, it kind of mimics Twitter in the sense that you can post, follow, like, repost, like the similar that you can tweet, retweet, share, whatever on Twitter. But it's um, it's made by a man who basically, he was an advocate for Twitter, he used to love it, and then he thought that it was just going in the wrong direction. So he came up with his own idea, went ahead with this. But since Elon Musk, Mr. Musk, has, since he's taken over and caused, I don't know what he's caused, havoc, um, he has, there's about one million people who've changed platform. They've actually gone off Twitter and gone over to Mastodon. So it's very similar that you can use it in the way of Twitter, but it's not the same when you look at it. It kind of looks like a mix between Twitter and Reddit. So kind of like microblogging and you sign up for what you like. So you want to talk about sports, you can go and follow your sports servers, is what they call them. Mm. But it's basically like a, a Twitter or it's like an organization that you find on Twitter kind of thing. Okay, so you toot on this, is that right? And you toot, you toot <laughs> instead of tweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez, my head is wrecked altogether. And it's an elephant is the symbol I see of of a mastodon. Is. But you you know what? I've seen it described as Twitter, but nice, and that there's no advertising and it doesn't harvest your data. But then again, I saw other critics the weekend saying 
Ah, it's a bit too crusty, new age yeah. traveller, that type of thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like what at the, like this day and age, what doesn't take your data, whatever you sign up to, your your information's logged somewhere. So it kind of is a question: where's it going? Who who has that? Um, there's so many like there's so many questions around GDPR and data breaches and everything. We saw we saw it here in Ireland last year with the HSC getting hacked into. It. Yes, like it is it is um, it's everywhere. But I think what they're trying to promote is that they're not trying to get you to sign up for something to pay, or not trying to get you to make a profile to shove ads in your face to sell products. So we make money. We're not about making money. Whereas Twitter is, you now pay for your verified blue tick, and you now will get pushed advertisement and that kind of stuff. Like same with Facebook, you'll get pushed advertisement based on your data, what you mm. search, what you interact with. So. And is Twitter for all ages historically, would you say? You know, the way you mentioned the age brackets for Facebook. Is it for yeah. everybody? I it, I think it was. I think it was a... They tried to get a younger bracket a couple of years ago. Um, but I think I kind of stayed with, between, like, the kind of 20, 20s plus bracket. Now, in fairness, throughout the pandemic, Twitter got an awful lot of following from mm. the boomer age bracket. That would be, like, 59 plus, like, to 65. Mm. Because that's where people found their news. And they got instant notifications of what's going on. And obviously, the pandemic threw everyone on their back and they didn't know what was going on. So they actually gained an awful lot of following for the older generations when you look at social media generations, like who's interacting with what. So they, they got a lot of that, that end of things. So I'd say it will, it will still have, Twitter will not go away. Twitter is huge. And it, what Elon Musk is trying to do is basically make it a bigger space for freedom of speech, which mm. is dangerous when the people who are claiming their freedom of speech well, it's just dangerous to, to like, different cohorts of people. Yeah. So... Yeah, it promotes uh, bullying. It has been accused yeah. of in the past and the mob mentality. Yet, on the positive side, a voice to the marginalised, calling out injustices, raising awareness. And it actually, Twitter's been involved in a political campaign influencing yeah. as well. So there are pros and cons. But anyway, it's not going away, you say. So, for Lizzie Dorn, where is it at? Is it TikTok? Is it Instagram? What is it? I think it is TikTok. It actually has grown for every every age bracket, every age bracket from young, like young, young, like twelve plus to the older, like kind of people who are using social media. It's grown insanely in the last two years. As I think TikTok is going to be huge. Now they're going to be bringing in different kind of systems that will have advertising in place as well, which I think will a couple of people might fall off from that. But there's also the Be Reels and the Reveals. Have you heard of these ones? Oh, listen, Be Real for sure. I saw Caroline Foran writing in yesterday's Sunday Independent. She says, never mind, Be Real. Get real, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 1,000%. Um, it's funny, though. The Reveal one is basically a mirror app of Be Real. Okay. So this guy, basically, he was using Be Real and he was like, I'm going to do a twist on this. Now, it's an exact image, an exact mirror of Be Real. Except you, instead of having two minutes to post, you only have two minutes to see what everyone posts. So you get a push notification from this app and you go on, you're able to see then what everyone put up and then it's gone in two minutes. So it's meant to be more be real than be real, but it's just everything you post can be staged in some way. Nothing on social media is ever 100% true, really. Mm. Mm. So I, I, I'm familiar with them. Be uh, real and reveal. I, of course, I'm familiar with them. But I just wonder, what in the name of God are we going to become as human beings if this is what's driving the world? Do you look? Let me ask you, as a young woman, is yeah. your phone and social media your main focus in life? No, God, no. Thank God. I hope, I hope not as well. I hope a lot of people will be saying no as well. <laughs> Yes, so it, it's a part of you. Is that what you're saying? I would say I use my my own personal social media is used for kind of... We, every, everyone has a different agenda when they use social media. I would say mine would be to interact with my friends, see what's going on. And there are a couple of influencers and like celebrities that you'd like to see what's going on. I want the goss, I want the tea. Um, we're a nosy generation. And then there are other people who will use it all the time. I know people who aren't off their phone. They just scroll, scroll, yes. scroll. Like, yes. for example, TikTok, I think, is actually a super massive black hole because you go onto that, whole, that For You page 
you scroll and next thing you've lost the full day and you've just done nothing. You've just scrolled. You, <laughs> like, see, and you've, you see, Lizzie, that's my impression, you know, as yeah. at my age of a lot of younger people who just seem to be totally, you know what I mean? Uh, absorbed in it. Yeah, absorbed totally. And they don't know what's going on in the world around them and things are passing them by and they need to wake up and smell the coffee. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I don't think a lot of people my age, I think younger, maybe the kind of 18 to kind of 24-year-olds, I would say, are very, very involved now. I think that does kind of, um, it mirrors in um, mental health states as well. A lot of people get into bad places because they're comparing their lives, these lives they see online that are, you know, not realistic, Mm. not really real at all. But I do think that there is definitely people who are stuck in their phone and definitely let things pass them by or else they get themselves into rust because they're like, why are they doing this? Why am I not doing this? Why do I not look like that? Why do I not have friends that do this every weekend type of thing? Yes, comparing, comparing because you are seeing photoshopped uh, images and stories and everything like that. That's what you have to get into your head. It's killing the art of conversation. People's concentration, you mentioned it. They're just flicking from one thing to the other. There's no yeah. concentration anymore. There are a lot of real difficult... And I'm glad that you recognise this. How long would you spend on social media daily on average yourself? Um, I don't actually know. I have to check my phone to find out what's <laughs> I actually don't know. I would be... Like, I would be definitely guilty of having an OZ of something. If someone sent me something, and yeah. you know, you scroll and you read something. Now, I would read a lot of articles, and they would they would be on social media. They'd be online. They would yes. be on social media accounts. Yes. But I would be I would engage with an awful lot of those. I suppose Instagram's probably my sucker. I do like seeing what's going on there. Yeah. I'm so, a bit nosy. So, inst- would, is that your preferred platform, Instagram? For me, yeah. Definitely. Okay, that's that's what I just wanted to get to that as well. You, you'll have to check your time and see. I'm afraid to tell you what mine is. I'll tell you before we finish. But just quickly, um, what did you make of Bob Dylan? Now he's of a much senior age to you and has a different uh, profile of fans. But taking everybody's mobile phone off them before they went into his gig, it's locked up in a pouch. Yeah. And you ca- nobody in the audience had access through the concert. What do you make of that? I think that's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. I was at... I I was in I did my Erasmus year in Copenhagen and there was a couple of clubs in Copenhagen that when you went in you had to put your phone into a locker you yep. weren't allowed to have your phone in there and they had safe zones like say if you're, because people would say I can't find my friends I need my phone they would have a place where you go but it was all about the music and all about like it was all about the band playing and who's playing everyone engaging and having a good time and it did make your night so much better the only thing you're missing is a couple of photos from the night out but you remember the night out yes that is you the know, thing like about it, it. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is. I think it's something that we should all do anyways. We should live in the moment and not be trying to capture it on our phone. Yes. Um, I know there are some things that people, obviously you want memory, you want to have a photograph. That's absolutely no problem. But like take the photograph and put the phone away and actually be there. You are a paragon of virtue, young woman. I like you. I, I've always said it anyway. I really like you. But you have it. You have it sussed properly for sure. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if these things take over completely, well, I'm afraid there'll be things happening in the real world that uh, we are should be aware of and are not. You know what I'm saying? And that is, the, that is the big thing. You can't beat the in-person contact, the friendships, life itself. That is the most important part. You've been exactly. great today because, you see, tomorrow on the show, I'm going to follow up. I have Samantha Kelly with me tomorrow and she's known as the tweeting goddess, right? Our whole business and life is based upon it. So we're going to chat to her tomorrow as a sort of a follow up to see where this is going. You've been great. Thank you so much. You've been so informative. Thank you. I look forward to that tomorrow. Yeah, do indeed. And we'll talk again, Lizzie. Take care of yourself. See you later. Bye. 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 Lizzie Doran there on the world of social media. I didn't tell her how many... I'll tell you after the break how much time I'm spending on social media myself. Vicky Phelan passed away earlier today and there's such an outpouring of grief and sadness right across the country because there's no need to remind you what a wonderful, brave woman she was. And it's just so sad. We think of her husband and children and family today and the grief that they're going through. And this day was inevitable and it's inevitable for all of us but it's come all too soon and much too soon for a marvellous young woman and mother. I had the pleasure of interviewing Vicky Phelan back in September, or October should I say, 2019 and I had a comprehensive discussion with her about herself and her life and she had brought out our memoir at that time 
and I've podcasted. If you want to listen to it, it's available on lmfm.ie, on our Facebook and on Twitter as well. You can go in there and listen to it in, in its entirety. But as a wee tribute to her on late lunch this afternoon, I've extracted uh, a few minutes from that interview. And here is Vicky speaking to me back in 2019 about the importance of getting scanned in a timely fashion. You should be getting the, the scans that you, you need. You shouldn't have to be fighting for it. Because the difference between getting scanned regularly and then picking it up and not getting scanned is what happened to me, really. You know, I mean, I hadn't had a scan for two and a half years by the time my cancer came back in 2017 and I had no symptoms. And I remember, well, apart from back pain, and I kept continuously, I, I looked back at my file just to see, you know, was I imagining it? Uh, but it was every appointment I went to, it was noted my lower back pain. But that was ignored. They kept telling me, oh, that's just, you know, the effects of the radiation treatment I had because I had so much radiation to my pelvic area that that can, you know, lead to pain. Um, But nobody at any point ever thought, oh, hang on a minute for, you know, this lady is at high risk of recurrence, up to 70% now, Jerry, And they knew this. You know, maybe we should send her for a scan. Do you know what I'm saying? Because my, my cancer travelled up my body. So no matter how many internal exams I was going to have, they would never have felt the tumour because it was after growing further up my body. So, you know, the thing is, you know, if you're at a high risk of recurrence for, for your particular type of cancer, you should be having the scans and you should not have to fight for them. I just endorse 110% everything you, you said there. Listen to this message that's just come to me for you. Vicky is my absolute inspiration. It's just come in on WhatsApp. I've just finished her book. I never read books, but I simply couldn't put it down, Jerry. I'm not very religious, so I ask Vicky for guidance every morning. What this country has done to over 200 women is an absolute disgrace. It makes me so mad and angry to think of those unnecessary deaths and suffering for ladies and their families. Vicky, you are our hero, says Michelle Howard. Thank you, Michelle. What a lovely, lovely oh, comment that you, is. Yeah, that is that so is nice. You know what, Jerry? It's messages like that that drive me on, to be honest. You know, mm. I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing to help people of this country, normal people like myself. You know, I'm lucky, I know that, that I have a voice and I'm able to use it and I'm good at doing research and I'm good at reading up on stuff. But I know there are people who can't do it. And that's why I do it, Jerry, because there are so many people out there who are struggling and who just don't know where to start with this. So, you know, they're the people I'm doing it for. When you hear what Michelle has to say there in that comment, and I'm sure that reflects an awful lot of people who've uh, seen you on television are listening to us today and heard you all over the radio. Do, do you hold bitterness in your heart when you think of that scan you had in 2011 and they should have picked up on it and they didn't are you mad as hell with those people not anymore i was i was jerry for a long time um but i suppose in one respect i wouldn't say you know my depression was a blessing in this instance but i know what that what that does to me when i start for example when my daughter had a really bad accident uh, you know six years ago and she got badly burned I went to that place I got so bitter and so angry at the world because this poor child had already had enough she'd been born with a rare condition she has a visual impairment and now she's after getting burned and had spent five weeks in hospital and I had to watch her you know crying in pain getting her dressings changed and I mean why what else would you do only feel bitterness and and resentment and anger when something like that happens to your child but the problem with that Jerry is that festers and for me I went into a really bad place uh, and I went down you know I got very badly depressed for about two years after her accident which I probably think led to my cancer coming back to be honest because you know there is a link between depression and cancer I've read up a lot about this Um, so I, I can't go there Jerry that's the thing you see I cannot go back down that road again because you know I know what happens if I go into a, a really bad depressive period it's very hard to come back out again so for me I had to channel that anger and as soon as I started doing things to help other people and talking about this last year I felt so much better you know it's the only way I can describe it is helping other people has helped me not to become bitter Vicky Phelan speaking to me back in October 2019 and the full interview is available on lmfm.ie or across our social media platforms right now if you'd like to listen back to it an amazing conversation I had with her. What a remarkable, remarkable woman. And just in our final words there, she'll never know what she's done for others. Never, ever what she's done. The the legacy she's left behind. Oh, amazing, amazing. And it's really sad to think that she's gone today. And again, we offer our sympathies to her 
husband, children and her family. May she rest in peace. And with Vicky in mind, I want to play this one. I absolutely love this song. It's six years since she brought out a song. But my God, wasn't it worth the waiting? In memory of Vicky Phelan, it's Rihanna. Jerry, three customers could get their tickets on Thursday for Peter Kay. My husband was on it for three quarters of an hour on Thursday. The site went down, tried again, got into a smaller queue and got them for a Saturday night. We thought there was only two concerts. Glad we got our tickets. I think that Saturday night, though, is in 2025. You could check that out. I don't know whether you put on a Saturday uh, next year. He's certainly on Thursday, Friday. Thanks for the message. Like Eileen Rush, Jerry, I will never forget Vicky, one of the bravest women I have ever known. God give her rest, says Christine Arkins. Hello, Christine. Nice to hear from you today. And another one there, Jerry. I just can't stop crying over Vicky. It feels like we all knew her. Isn't that so true? I went up to the church and lit a candle for her. It's heartbreaking. Vicky, you are a legend. Rest in peace, says another listener. And so on they go. Thank you indeed for your comments to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And that's the number you need if you have a question for my next guest. 086-1800-658. Sinead Kelly, our vet, is standing by. Hello again, Sinead. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Let's get straight to business. Listen to this. Over the weekend, I spotted our dog in the back garden walking round with a dead rat in his mouth. I had... Oh, listen to this. It gets it gets more interesting. Oh, no. I, I had laid poison for the rat oh, last oh. week and obviously it worked the oracle. But now I'm really concerned about my dog. Can oh. Sinead advise, Jerry, please? OK, well, if you... If the dog ate the rat, then the dog would be at risk of the side effects of rodenticide uh, toxicity. So what I would say is if you think there's a chance you saw the dog eating the rat or portions of the rat, um, or you don't know if the dog ate the rat, you should uh, bring the dog to the vet because it would be, the safest thing would be for the vet to put the dog on uh, the antidote to rodenticide. The the problem is that the the current uh, rat bait that's used, essentially they all work on the model of blocking the manufacture of vitamin K in the liver and you might think well that doesn't really matter but it does because we need to make vitamin k in our liver so that our blood can clot so essentially almost all the modern rat poisons work by causing the rats to bleed to death now they're so concentrated now that in theory if a small dog eats a rat that's eaten a belly full of rodenticide 
they they can suffer from uh, rodenticide toxicity. And the other problem is that the the newer generation rodenticides, the manufacturers are making them stronger and stronger, and they're making them longer acting. Mm. So if you think there's a risk your dog has has ingested part of the rat, you need to say this uh, to the vet and say that you had put down rat bait because the, the the best thing to do then is unfortunately they require about maybe four weeks of oral vitamin K to make sure that they are going to be able to have enough vitamin K for their blood to clot. So sounds dramatic, but you really should do that. The other thing you want to check with your vet uh, and check yourself is, is your dog up to date um, with leptospirosis vaccination? So that is one of the diseases that we vaccinate against every year. Um, I know there's a lot of debate about some people think we over-vaccinate, but Whereas for some viral conditions, uh, immunity can last maybe two, three, four years. With the leptospirosis, which is a bacterial infection, really immunity only lasts about 11 or 12 months. So it's very important if you think your dog is coming into contact with rats or where there could be rat urine like waterways, you need to get your lepto vaccine up to date. But definitely, definitely call the vet today if you think that the, that the dog ate the rat. Definitely, oh, definitely, okay, definitely. Okay, very important uh, to get that done. Now, another one on the canine front. We have a Jack Russell. He's five-year-old. And during the last couple of weeks, we've noticed he's drinking profuse amounts of water. Would Sinead have any idea why this might be? And should we be concerned, says a listener? Yes, yes, yes you need to do something. So it's, it's not normal. Obviously, it's normal for dogs to be you know, thirsty in the short term if it's very, very hot and they do a lot of exercise. Um, but if the dog is repeatedly drinking a lot of water for more than a day, um, then certainly at the, at the age of five, my number one concern would be something like diabetes. Um, so in a younger animal, that's the most common cause of this incredible thirst because if you're diabetic and you're not able to control your blood sugar, the, the high blood sugar then becomes high urine sugar and this draws water out um, and so you end up that the, the dog will urinate a lot and because of the urinating a lot, they will drink a lot to try and stay hydrated. So you get this vicious circle. So I would say the first thing you need to do is make an appointment with the vet. They'll run some bloods as the first thing to do. So check blood sugar and then less commonly but still possible you can have uh, the most common causes of, of an increased thirst would be, say, kidney issues, liver issues. So, so definitely need to get checked out. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Now, on the feline front, a listener just sent me in this message to say, Jerry, will you ask Sinead about catnip? Is it dangerous and does it grow in our neck of the woods? dangerous at all. No, um, actually it's, it's a fabulous little thing. So it's, it's literally a little herb um, that grows naturally. I'm not sure, I think it probably does grow in Ireland and Britain and things like that. Um, but when it's dried, or even I think in the plant form, but mainly when it's dried, um, it produces naturally occurring, um, I suppose you'd call them endorphins or pheromones that seem to really, really trigger cat's nervous system. There's been a lot of work done on this. It's almost like a natural um, kind of soothing or a natural kind of um, stimulant for cats. Doesn't seem to have an effect on any other animals but cats. And the effect is incredible. Anyone who has a cat who's ever introduced their cat to catnip, they start rolling and playing and rubbing up against the item with the catnip. And they always go a little bit as if they, they've had, um, you know, some kind of illicit drugs. I mean, sometimes they get quite uh, a, a bit kind of, um, you know, sleepy or a little bit, you know, they either can go very, very manic and start running around the house or they get a bit sleepy. So there's, it, it's natural. It's not toxic. It's, it's, it has its natural quality. But what I would say is what the advice is, is if you're exposed your cat to catnip day after day after day, you are probably going to kind of almost like overstimulate them or overexcite them and it kind of loses the value. And I would say the value of catnip is it's very useful if maybe they are going to be going through something stressful or it's valuable as a kind of a de-stressor or it's valuable as something to kind of help them to play. But don't overwhelm them with it every day, you know, because otherwise they will be a little bit kind of, um, you know, kind of overstimulated. But it's very, very safe. And if you look at the big pet stores online, you know, you can buy lots and lots of different catnip products and they're, they're nice to have, you know, and they're a bit of fun and certainly the cats are always um, much more enthusiastic about playing and, and doing things with them. And although we don't often speak about um, obesity in cats as we do in dogs, we do want cats to do a bit and exercise a bit and especially if you have an indoor cat, there's lots of health benefits to being an indoor cat, but the one downside is they maybe tend not to get as much exercise. So I often say to people, it sounds crazy, but you need to encourage your cat to play every day. Some cats will play with a little different toy 
toys and playing with like feathers and squeaky toys and rolling things around. But one of the things that often gets them going is a catnip toy. So, so definitely it's very, very useful. It's a fabulous substance. I kind of researched it a bit because I was like, what is in this thing? But yeah, it's a naturally occurring plant. I can't quite remember the, the Latin name of it. But yeah, no, it's, it's fabulous stuff. Fabulous stuff. Now another one there for you. Our Labrador has just passed ten, Jerry, oh, and uh, a very active dog he's been all his life. Would you ask Sinead, should we now be considering reducing the exercise now that he's passed the ten mark? Okay, past the 10 mark, okay. Um, I would say I would be guided by the dog. So what I would say is that if your dog is, you know, not limping, not stiff, not sore at the exercise you're doing at the minute, I would keep going, definitely. I mean, if you're noticing that he's stiff in the morning after rising, if he's stiff and sore after, you know, a certain amount of exercise, I would touch base with your vet and get the dog examined in case there are concerns about arthritis or back pain. And then there's lots of different medicines and, and kind of adjunctive therapies we can use for that. And in that case, if, if the vet says, if you're concerned about arthritis and issues like that, I would say you might need to tailor down the exercise. So much as we don't want the exercise to stop completely, if they're diagnosed with the problem, you'll need to maybe kind of have more, less weight-bearing exercise and more things like swimming or shorter walks. But if your dog is still enjoying the crazy walks and still bright and happy and not limping or not dragging feet or anything like that, you can you can just keep going, really. That's, that, I would say that. Uh, here's an interesting one. I don't know whether Sinead can answer this for you, but thanks for sending it in to us. Uh, our dog goes absolutely belubas at birds, Sinead. Any mm. bird appears in the garden. It's just crazy. And she's driving us mad now. Can we do anything? Keep them inside. Oh, well, I wonder, uh, yeah, I wonder what kind of dog she is. So it depends on the kind of dog. So certain, and it depends what our background is. So um, for, like, we've recently kind of taken on this little rescue Springer Spaniel, who was obviously, um, you know, Cleo sent us her one true heir. But it, it's it's funny because this dog was obviously bred to be a gun dog. So she sees anything flying, flattering, flopping. She is going mad for it. So I suppose it depends if, if your dog has come from a background where they were encouraged to chase birds and look for birds, you're, you're going to have a very, very tough time trying to get the dog out of that. If this is a dog that's been in your house, in your environment, and now suddenly they're getting very excited for the birds, I suppose you have two options. You're either going to say, are we going to encourage this and let it be a bit of fun, as in when you're out on walks, are you happy for the dog to chase the birds? The problem with that is the dog might decide to chase the birds across the road, across the field, you might never see them again. Um, and so I, I, I suppose if you want to get the dog away from not being so interested in birds, you maybe need to look at using some kind of distraction is probably the best thing to do. So if it's driving you mad and there's loads of barking, then maybe the, the thing to do is try and get a toy, get something else exciting in the house, distract the dog, get it interested in the toy instead. Um, if it's that the dog is just trying to get out and, and look after the birds, just let the dog out and let the dog chase after them because they're going to fly off really. They're, they're not at risk to, to birds unlike cats. So I suppose you need to discover and, and identify yourselves, are you wanting to totally stop this behaviour and is that feasible? So if it's a dog who has previously been trained to follow birds, you're probably going to really struggle. Mm. If it's just your own dog and has suddenly become quite interested, the one thing I would say is, well, is your dog getting lots of stimulation? So are you bringing him for walks? Is he having lots of other activity? Is he going mad for the birds just because he's bored, rigid in the house? You know, so, and, and maybe you need to look at yourself and go, right, well, we need to give him other excitement, other activity. But if it's just that he wants to chase the birds and, you know, he's, he's enthusiastic for them, you know, I don't see a problem with that unless he's going mad, barking and, and doing non-stop kind of very, very noisy behaviour. In which case, first of all, I would look at distraction with a different toy. If that doesn't work, then I suppose you look at things like um, what we would call um, you know, slightly aversive things. So you can get like a water pistol, fill it with water and spray him with water if he's barking at the birds and you don't like it. Now, that can be quite a difficult thing to follow through with once you start. So I think if you decide that you aren't enjoying this behaviour and you want it to stop, I would probably speak to your vet about uh, getting a contact for a, a local um, uh, pet behaviourist and they can give you more advice about that. But I think, as I say, you you need to figure out where is all this coming from. Is this a dog who is, has grown up, kind of been, been taught how to chase birds and go after birds? So you need to do a bit of investigation, I think. Fantastic, Sinead, as usual. Thank you so much for your wonderful advice. We'll talk to you in December, please, God. Thanks, William. Take care, Jerry. Take bye-bye. care, bye-bye. bye-bye. That's the wonderful Sinead Kelly there, our vet on Late Lunch, answering your questions. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week.
I can't believe it's taken me so long to arrive at my artist this week. Yes, it is Elvis Presley, who was born on January 8, 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi. Did you know that Elvis was a twin? He was an identical twin. But sadly, his brother Jesse, who was delivered first by his mother Gladys, was a stillborn baby. Really sad, yeah, and they were identical as well. His dad, Vernon, uh, was an odd job man and he struggled to find work with the family often relying on uh, neighbours and friends for handouts. So he came from humble beginnings. As a young boy, where did he get his musical inspiration from? It came from the Assembly of God Church where the family were actively involved in the congregation. He entered a singing competition, encouraged by a teacher at school, when he was 10, performing publicly for the first time. He did well. I think he was fifth in in that contest. Little did they know what lay ahead. He then got a guitar for his birthday and lessons from his uncles and a guy in the church as well. However, he was shy, a real loner at this stage. But then, with encouragement from Carver Lee Osborne, a.k.a. Mississippi Slim, he was known as, who had a radio music show on Tupelo's Wello radio station, the 12-year-old Elvis was encouraged to perform and play to a wider audience and suddenly people realised what a talent this boy was. The family upsticks from Tupelo and moved to Memphis, Tennessee in 1948, where the king really began to make his mark to be continued tomorrow but for my first song of the week from Elvis Presley let's dip into his vast music catalogue with this one from 1955 You know I can be found sitting home all alone if you can't come around at least please tell the phone don't be cruel Mr. Elvis Presley, my artist of the week, on your late lunch. More in words and song about the King tomorrow round about this time. And we're going to finish the show today on a musical note because listen to this. Mr. Curtis Stigers is coming to Navin next weekend. He's appearing at the Solstice. But you see, he has local knowledge by his side. The wonderful Brian Byrne is with him. And both gentlemen are joining me next. When I mention you're all that matters to me, never saw a miracle, I wonder why, etc, etc. Well, if you were a child of the 90s or more, uh, a disco person or a pop music or a rock person of that era, you'll know that the songs I'm talking about came to us courtesy of the wonderful Curtis Steiger's And he's coming to Ireland. He's touring the big venues. Yes, he is. Dublin, Belfast and Galway. But he's appearing in Navin this coming Saturday. And he'll be accompanied by Navin's, one of Navin's greatest sons, musician, writer, composer, arranger, Brian Byrne. And I believe I have both gentlemen on the line to me. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Brian. I'm here. Hello, Jerry. Hi, Uh, Curtis. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jerry. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome so much. Curtis Steigers, I am just delighted you're with us today. Uh, Thank you. Now, tell me, are you telling me that Navin isn't one of the big venues? That's not not like the big city in Ireland? When will I tell you? It's the most important. The most important one. It's the most important. <laughs> That's what Brian's been telling me all these Curtis, years. Curtis, Navin is the hub of creativity in Ireland because, you see, you have the likes of Brian Byrne, Jimmy Smith. Do you know a fellow who played James Bond as well from Navin? Do you know this fellow that played James Bond? No? I, I, he, he, the, 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 he also played the, uh, the, the, the Remington Steel, didn't yes. he? Yes. Brian, Brian, come in. Brian, come in. Of courtesy, you just won uh, some tea bags for for getting that answer correct. <laughs> well, I happen to I happen to know that, and especially because um, apparently Pierce Brosnan has a daughter who lives here in my hometown in Boise, Idaho, and occasionally he'll show up in a restaurant, and the whole town will go insane because Pierce is is sitting uh, you know at the bar or sitting at a table with his with his daughter and grandkids. So uh, yeah, we have we we have a lot of connections. Curtis, it's a small world. It is a small world, Brian. Curtis. Curtis, 13 albums, thousands of concerts, 
millions of miles on the road, as you say yourself, and this new album called This Life. How do you squeeze it into one record? <laughs> well, it, it it isn't possible to get it all in, but I, I figured at 30 years in the record business, it was time to look back and, and to sort of uh, assess where I've been. So I, uh, over the years, my band, the way I play songs live has changed. You know, I, I've, I, these days I make records with a more acoustic band with a kind of a jazz group behind me. And so I wonder why it sounds different. You're all that matters to me sounds different. Um, uh, the song from Sons of Anarchy, which I, which I was the, uh, the co-writer and singer of, it sounds different than when I recorded it. So we've, um, we've recorded these new versions as a look back, but also as a look forward, you know, because I didn't, I didn't want to just do the same thing uh, over and over again. Never have wanted to, but it, it seemed like a good time to at least to uh, have a look. Brian, tell us the story of yourself and Curtis and your long-term friendship. Where did you meet him first and how has it developed over the years? Well, we met in prison in Los Angeles. I'm joking, <laughs> of course. Uh, I, I, was never, a bit... I was framed, I swear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I came across Curtis in Ireland uh playing his song I Wonder Why on the saxophone in a wedding band with my father's wedding band mm. ah. and then fast fast forward a few years I, I moved to Los Angeles um, and I asked Curtis to come play with my big band in LA we, we did a gig and we remained friends since that um, and we were out on the road I was out on the road with Van Morrison a few months ago in Philadelphia and Curtis was on the same gig stole the gig uh, and we <laughs> reconnected and just uh, shortly after that he told me he was playing in Ireland, and I saw he was playing in Navin. So, I mean, hmm. what what better way to get home and uh, play incredible music with you know? He just so wanted we, to, he just wanted to see his family. He didn't <laughs> he didn't really care about the tour, but. Uh. Uh, no, it was really, so, it, it was a night, I, I couldn't, uh, my 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 touring uh, uh, pianist was not available, my backup guy was not available, and I thought, well, what about Brian Byrne? He's one of the, he's one of the finest musicians in the world, and and maybe he's going to be in Ireland at the time, so uh, it, yeah. it really worked out, it's, it's a bit of a re- reunion for us, and uh, I mean, I'm doing a, a a thing on the road where it's a it's an acoustic show. It it reflects my my live stream show that I do. Mm. Well, I did every Wednesday during the uh, during the pandemic. I call it songs from my kitchen, and it's just that. It's me with my acoustic guitar singing my songs. My dogs are there. They bark at the mailman. It's very uh, it's it's very home homely or homey as as we would say here in the states. Um, and so. I'll just be there with my acoustic guitar playing a bunch of my songs. And then just when you start to get bored of me, I bring out a real musician, a great uh, jazz pianist who comes out and saves the day. And we get to play some jazz and some blues and uh, maybe even some Elvis Presley. Oh, I can see the credits rolling already. Brian, talk about home or homely, as Curtis says there. He's in for a treat, isn't he, in Solstice? It is so homely. Uh, Yeah, Salt is a beautiful theater. Uh, and you know, that word homely, Curtis, when I, when I moved to L.A. first, I'd get invited to, to dinner parties uh, around L.A. And, and come the end of the night, I'd say, wow, this place is so homely. But in America, in America, homely means a completely different thing than Ireland. It means kind of gaudy and, and awful. And people well, would just look at me. I never well, it means it. it means ugly. You know, you'd say, oh, she's a bit homely, isn't she? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, so I never different. got invited back to a lot of parties in LA. Yeah, it's different here. <laughs> Homely means warm, loving, welcoming Curtis. And that's what you're going to get in Navin this Saturday with that guy from his hometown right beside you. Everything like that guaranteed for you. Anyway, it is this Saturday, the 19th of November, 8 o'clock in the Solstice. Tickets available, Brian, from the Solstice at the moment? From the Solstice, yeah. Uh, you, just go on could, the website. You can also go to curtisdigers.com and get the tickets. Fantastic. We want to hear you, Curtis, and I'm wrapping up my show now, so I'm going to say goodbye to both of you. Brian, lovely to catch up with you again. Curtis, it's been my pleasure, and Ireland will just love you with this mini-tour you're doing. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. It's great to great to chat with you. It really is. Thanks, and you Derek. too, Brian. Take care of yourself, Brian. God bless you both. We're Bye. going to leave you with one of Curtis' classic now as we say goodbye on Late Lunch today. Tomorrow on the show, tweeting goddess Samantha Kelly. Shane Foley gets a big job in teaching two on Tuesday. And they're playing hurling in Uganda. Eddie Caffrey's on his way. But before Eddie, 
on LMFM. It is the man himself. What a saxophone here. Curtis Tigers, for you on late lunch to say goodbye today. And I wonder why. See you tomorrow. CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.